Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Happy Friday. Welcome to Fantasy Sports today. Craig Bish along with Joe Pizzapia as we close out another week at home here on Sports Grid. Great to have you with us for the next couple of hours. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish at Joe Pizzapia 17 as we dive into everything happening in reality and fantasy. And big weekend ahead for us, Joe. Maybe we'll get out a little bit. Maybe we'll... No, it, weather is actually good here. Good. Uh, I've got I've got another outdoor project. Uh, I'm trying to take care of things around the house, but I like that sports grid at home. It sounds kind of like a cooking show or something. Maybe you and I, you know, we throw the aprons on on the Saturday yeah. show and we yeah. get in the kitchen, we talk sports and uh, I don't know, make a souffle or something. I think we should do it. What do you say? I, I like the idea. You can catch uh, Joe, by the way, on Diamond Bets coming up this weekend. Lots of historical baseball talk. And so make sure you stay tuned to that. Of course, uh, Joe and I will have a uh, Saturday morning show. So you can catch us where we sort of go over the things that happen in sports over the week. Normally, it's a lot more exciting, by the way, than what's been happening. But we'll do our best. That's for sure. Um, OK, so let's start off. And we got a lot to cover here on the show today, but it seems as though the inevitable has happened, which is you're going to have differences of opinions between people and players and owners. And essentially, we're right back down this road with Major League Baseball. And in the day and age of social media, you knew this was bound to happen. Uh, Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays, two years ago, one of the best pitchers in baseball, still considered probably a top 10 pitcher all over uh, overall in baseball, excuse me, uh, you know, is, is having a lot of fun gaming. And he was involved in the MLB The Show uh, tournament. I had a chance to watch a lot of that when he played against the Marlins' Ryan Stanek. My son was watching all of Ryan Stanek's Marlins games, of course, and then made some interesting comments, Joe, a couple days ago, and uh, you know, basically said that you know it's going to be very hard for him to envision playing if nothing changes in terms of what the uh, ownership has brought forth to the players. Now, we, you know, a couple things to unpack here a little bit is I don't know how specific that Blake Snell knew exactly what was in the proposed deal. So I'm not, I can't really speak to that and I'm not sure it could be just generalization or what we've seen in the public or read in the public too. But essentially his point was Joe, that he's putting his life on the line and he's risking a lot and wants to be paid his full salary. And it's being met with some people who agree. It's being met with some people who disagree. So hence we start off the show on that subject today. Oh, this is great. Boy, you know, you don't like hot take radio or TV. I know that about you, Craig Mish. So brace yourself because I, I don't know. I don't oh, know. We have what no road, choice. Today. We have no choice, but I feel like we're going down this road. So we might as well just do it here at the top and uh, and let's roll up our sleeves, even though I think we're both sleeveless today. And let, let's are. go after it. Look at it. Guns out. You and me, Mish. That's what we're doing. Look, my my difficult situation here with Blake Snell comments is this. He starts in one vein and at the very top says, this is my life, bro, my life. And I said to myself, oh, okay, well, that's a really interesting point of view. And you know what? If you're just scared of it and no amount of money or whatever it is that is going to make you want to risk your life, that's fine. 
Then not five seconds later in the clip, he speaks to, if I'm going to risk my life, then I want to get paid my full salary. So it's really not about that. It's about your risk reward. And it's funny to me because I think right now the entire country is in a weird risk reward thing. There's a lot of people who are making far less than Blake Snell who are out there risking their lives every day as essential workers. Is Major League Baseball essential? No. However, I think there's also a difficult thing here because you're talking about millionaires versus billionaires. And then the working class people who work at the ballparks, who work for the team, who do all these other ancillary things, the stiffs like you and I in the media, right, covering Major League Baseball. It becomes a very difficult thing because their decisions to, let's say, possibly not pay because they're not getting paid enough in their minds to risk their well-being, which is a fair point, but it has an enormous ripple effect on a lot of other people. And I guess the major question is a philosophical one, and I'll pose it to you knowing that it's quite loaded. Do you think that Major League Baseball players work for the owners alone, or do you think they also work for the fans? Because like the XFL, like the AAF or whatever, you know, all the football leagues that have dissolved, like the USFL, if there's no fans, you have no job. And if you alienate the fan base that's already, I don't want to say hanging on by a thread, but let's be honest, it ain't what she used to be. You're going to have a repeat of 1995 in epic proportions, I believe, going into next year. So I guess the question for me to you, Craig, is sure. who do you, who do they work for? Uh, they work for uh, the employers, which is the team, and they have an obligation to the fans, two different things. So they okay. work for the teams. They have an obligation to the fans. I spoke to a lot of people yesterday about this. Sure lot. you did. And and because I felt like it was time for me to and it's been a while since I've really dug like when people know that I'm calling, I know that when my name shows up at the end, they're like, oh, boy, like, no, I this know, guy, I, I, I know, know they I feel it. that way. I, I, listen, they, I like, think they like me. Look, I break a lot of news. I'm sure they like me because they give me a lot of stuff. But <laughs> it's a deep it's sometimes it turns into a deep conversation. So right. I would ask you this. We can never put our let's go to the owners here for a minute. And I am not saying that this is right or wrong because I'm not going to play that game. But I would ask you, Joe, if you are the owner of a Major League Baseball team, and let's say you have, I mean, I don't know what the number is. You, you're a 500 millionaire. I mean, I don't even know what that would be called. I'm a half right. a That's good enough for me. Let's continue on. A, I'm a, a half a billionaire. This, this fun role okay. play. Huh? Would, would you, for the good of the world, be willing to lose like $100 million of your, of your worth? Or seventy million dollars of your worth next year, this year. Me, would yeah, if you have it. Me, yes, because that sort of wealth is so enormous. Okay. The, now, if and, there's thirty and again, owners in I baseball, the ones that don't, and I get that. Right, and and I think that's the key is that there are thirty owners in baseball, and there are not thirty owners in baseball who want to absorb losses of a hundred million dollars. Well, here's here's another counter question too that one of our esteemed colleagues at Sports Grid brought up too. They are risking their lives, quote unquote, in an environment that they are really laid down enormous safeguards, enormous cleaning things, enormous testing restrictions, all these things around there. They are safer than the person working at the shop right around the corner from my house, potentially. And in terms of setting up an environment for them to be healthy that in their correct. working. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where the, the again, the, the That's working That's why class this is all going to be a moot point. And, and I'm not trying to and I'm not like I'm not trying to get onto the left wing things or the right wing things. I'm just going back to the salt of the earth, the you know, let's raise a glass to the hardworking people here. And let's say there's a lot of people out there risking their lives for far less money. 
And if the point of view is I don't want to go play because of my health, because of the health of my family, there's no amount of money and it's a principle. I got no problem with that. I think you can sit out and I don't think the owner should penalize them at all. You know, you're going to lose a year of contract that again, it's the same thing. You just asked me about the owner. Are you willing to sacrifice that as a player this year? If I had little kids or whatever it is, whatever situation is, an older parent living with me who had uh, breathing issues and things of that nature or asthma, whatever higher risk platforms are. And they said to me, you have the option not to play if you don't want to. I would not play. Okay, fine. But don't tell me I'll only play if. I'll only play if. That's a slippery slope. And I think that's where the disconnect between the players and everybody else happens. The billionaires and the owners and the millionaires, I get it. It, and we're we're here at the table scraps, all of us, you, it's me. Very, it's very that's where we honestly that Blake Snell is the is the one right that it's that not is, the best spokesman. Is, he is not the best way. spokesman for this. And that's but just, is he that's is he speaking fact. for a larger contingent than? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that Adam Wainwright would not speak this way. You know, like I I, I just. I mean, not the not in terms of the way that he talks, which you know, also whatever I, I you know, fine. But it's not about that for me. It's just about to. I, I don't. Th I think he was speaking. I think Blake Snell was speaking from the heart. But I also don't know that I'm he sure. fully even understood what he. I mean, you're playing in the middle of a video game, making comments on Twitch. You gotta know better. Like you gotta know that this is what's gonna end. But up this is what this is what these guys are. This is this is where we're at with a lot of those things. And you know what? I mean, the, he said. You, you nailed it. He spoke his mind. He said exactly what he wanted to say. And I think it's probably a sentiment that a lot of guys feel like, well, you know, I, I want to do it, but if I'm not getting my full salary, why am I even taking the risk? And I get that mentality. I understand it. It's not that I'm tone deaf to the player's point of view, but I just feel like the player's point of view is a little tone deaf to what's really going on. And I think the millionaires and billionaires do live in a bubble, so to speak, of what's really happening out there. And maybe it's it's a little different in some different areas. I'm in New Jersey, the second worst state with this disease than any other state in right now in the United States. So my perspective, having lost people to this disease that I know that I used to work with, is very sad. People with fathers, grandfathers, mothers. I mean, this is this is some real stuff here in New Jersey that we're dealing with and in other places. And I can understand the point of view. It's it's dangerous. I don't want to play. But don't then turn around five seconds later and say, unless. Because once you say unless, I think you basically take away all leverage you have of, of any sort of sanctimony or righteousness right. about your point of view. Until you Once you say the words unless, and, I, and again, I'm quoting Blake Snell here, I gets mine. I gets mine. Again, English, maybe not Blake Snell's first language, but that at the same time, time, you know what? That's where people are going to have a problem. And then everybody else. And I'm telling you right now, if people don't show up to the ballparks next year and the year after and the year after that because of it, you know, what brought baseball back? It was Sosa Maguire, right? And then that kind of got burned too. It's like baseball just seems snake bit. They can't figure it out. So, I mean, what do you think is going to happen here? If I had to put it to you, where's I think, your money? I think that from speaking to people in the game, I think that, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the the teams with those big payrolls have some very serious concerns about paying out the players their full salaries with no fans for the whole year. The owners do not want to lose a hundred million dollars in four no. months. They but don't if they don't do pay, it. and if they don't pay those guys their full salary, and they decide not decide not to play, what happens to all the other people who work? in those executive offices and all those other people who have families. So well, they've all taken difficult. pay cuts. They're all, all taking pay cuts, but how many other jobs would be gone completely? 
How many of those furloughs turn off? It's, to look, it's 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 all very possible. It is not clean and it is not clear. And again, no. I sound like I'm taking the ownership side. I really believe that the I don't players. Think you do. I don't think you come off the that players. Way I think the players deserve to be paid, and I don't think that they should only have to share the revenue. But but when I was speaking to people yesterday, it did make some sense. It's very different for the Pirates. The Pirates are just like, all right, whatever, you know, like if we play great, if we don't play great, you know, like maybe we save some money, honestly. Like how many season tickets do we have anyway? 8,000, 7,000? I mean, the Mets, Joe, have 25,000 season ticket holders of which they're not going to see a dollar and they got to pay Cespedes alone 20 million. <laughs> like, Look. I mean, think about that for a second. Like they are going <laughs> to absorb massive, massive losses. And I think that from a humanitarian point of view, I probably believe that there are seven, eight, ten owners out there that are like, ah, you know what? I'm a billionaire. The guy in Minnesota is a billion, billion, billionaire, whatever. Probably like a Polad, whatever it seems. You know what? Screw it. What's a, what's 50 million? What's 100 million? Let's play ball. But it ain't like that for every single owner. No, and it's not. And, and I can't imagine it being like that for every single ownership group because you and I both know ownership structure is not always as easy as one guy who makes all the decisions. It's not how everything works. It's very naive for us to sit back and think that because we know it's a lot more business acumen that goes into this. It's just this was a very bad look at a very bad time for Major League Baseball. And it, is, it is. The other thing the that I was told, though, is that to come down hard on Blake Snell and tell him right. to shut up, Listen. because what we have to do is if you have this sentiment, you have to convince you have. This is why you have representation in a union. I'm in unions. I know how representation works. You speak to your representation. You tell them how you feel. Then they go to the table. All right. We'll take a quick time out on fantasy sports today. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports today, May the 15th, 2020. Craig and Joe back here with you. We'll also have our weekend show coming up, so make sure you catch us Saturday morning and Sunday night. It'll be a little bit bittersweet because this is the end of the Last Dance television show, the show that we're all anticipating watching. Joe, it's over this weekend. It is over Sunday night. We are literally going to have to find something else to watch on TV. Do you have any ideas, anything new coming out that you're aware of? Uh, new, I don't know. But did you see the, if you're a baseball fan, have you I'm seen the fan. Netflix documentary about the, the independent league team that Kurt Russell's dad ran? Because that is one I the, don't know. I've, I think I've heard about that, but I don't think that I've seen it. So uh, I think that I'm going to try to remember what uh, the battered bastards of baseball. I wanted to make sure I got the alliteration properly when I did it. Uh, it was done in 2014. It is a great little film, uh, a great little team and a great little story here uh, that is just, you know, the the life of independent baseball. And if you're mad at what's going on right now in real baseball, it kind of brings you back to a time where, you know, it was about the love of the game for these guys. And these guys were playing for peanuts. And it's, you know, again, it's very okay. romantic, I guess, in that thing. But it is a great little film. Bobby Sylvester of Fantasy Pros turned me on to it. And I watched it uh, a couple months ago and it was fantastic. And Kurt Russell is involved in it, too, which is really cool. So. If this is over in the last dance, there's a little sports uh, documentary movie on Netflix you can go check out. Cool, cool. I'll do that. I got some uh, some new cards in the mail. Oh, 
I ordered some cards here. Maybe uh, coming up next break, I'll show you what I what I ordered. Nice. I don't spend a lot of money with it, just fun. All right, uh, so this day in fantasy sports history for May the 15th, 2020. And let's get started. Back in 1941, Joe is three years old, and that was when <laughs> DiMaggio started his 56-game hitting streak. So this was it, the first day of 56. We've seen other players, uh, Joe, have long hitting streaks. Pete Rose is one that comes to mind. Benito Santiago was another. Luis Castillo on the Marlins. Paul Molitor, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, but I don't think that we're going to see this this broken. What about no, you? No, this is one of those flukish ones. And and I remember the Paul Molitor went very well. I remember it was like is right in the heat of the summertime too. I want to say like July August time where he was doing that. And I remember like you know being a kid at my grandma's house for a week, like hanging out. And every night uh, I would, you know, try to catch sports center at 11 yeah. o'clock to see, did he get I a hit? Did he get a hit? Because, you know, we didn't know unless you saw sports center at night, you didn't know anything that happened. We had no phones. We had no internet things. This is how life was. You had to you call had, a score line. It was called a score line. You want to wait till the next morning. You went up. Oh, did he get, Oh my God, he got another one. Yeah. And I remember kind of tracking it every day when I was there. But the Joe DiMaggio one is is unbelievable, and especially when you realize, I think during that streak, what he strike out like three times, or something absurd, <laughs> like yeah. that's an absurd number. The the difference in hitters in that generation, that era, compared to now, which is such station to station baseball and all or nothing launch angle, as uh, as our buddy Jeff Roy likes to say, she gone hitting. Joe DiMaggio, very special, and uh, what he did here was. I don't think nearly as much of a fluke as other people because I think he had another streak that was in the 40s at one point in time in his career. Uh, and I'll say this. It's because of the style of hitting more than anything. Yeah, there's a little bit of luck in there, but it's also the style in which he hit and the way he approached every at-bat, and that's what made DiMaggio so damn special. 1973, Nolan Ryan throws his first no-hitter. Of course, Nolan Ryan... Through a lot of these, but he did this one against the Royals, three to nothing, back on 1973. 2001, Allen Iverson named the MV NBA MVP and officially Joe, uh, also the shortest player to ever win the MVP back in 2001 as well. Yes, uh, actually, Nolan Ryan, I actually got to see him pitch his second to last game live at Camden Yards. That was an incredible thing to behold. It wasn't his last game. It was the second to last one. And I never remember being in a ballpark where I saw that many flash bulbs go off at one time. Every time he went to throw a pitch, it was just, it was like lightning in the ballpark. It was the craziest thing I had ever seen. And I'll tell you what, we were sitting, I don't know, about three quarters up on the first base side and I could hear the glove pop still. So he was still throwing gas at that point. And I mean, it was pop in there uh, but uh, the first of uh, many no hitters for nolan ryan and alan iverson we talked already about uh, earlier this week he's kind of that again that first like iso player in my mind where the game started to evolve into something different and something more like we see now but certainly a fun player too and a, and a real i don't know hip-hop street vibe player that i think also brought a realistic vision of uh, i don't know of what the modern day athletes might be looking like in the future and i think alan iverson was kind of ahead of his time he, he unfortunately played in an era that Shaq and Kobe were too yep. dominant. And, that's and together. But he had to run into <laughs> at that time. Yep. Uh, 2004, Smarty Jones ends up winning the second leg of the Triple Crown. We had a lot of horses in the early part of the 2000s win the first two races and then fail to win the Belmont State. Also, did you know uh, Smarty Jones is actually the, uh, the rapper name that our producer Brett uses at night when he moonlights as a rapper? 
He actually goes wow. out as a DJ and a rapper named Smarty Jones. A lot of people don't realize that. Wow. That's, so, that's, that's a Oh, look it up joke. on, uh, yeah, on the Instagram. That's a new one. That's, I haven't heard that one Check yet. Check it out. Yeah, Brett's dropping sick beats, they tell me. Sick beats. Do they use sick? Is it still the sick they use? Yeah, I think they still Bat say sick beats. beats. Well, you have to ask Smarty Jones. You can't ask me. You got to ask our producer, Brett. Okay. Uh, all right, so now for the birthdays today, wow, we are stacked. A lot of really strong people had birthdays today. I didn't even have to dig at all today. They just were all just coming at me here. So, uh, man, let's get started. A lot of Hall of Famers <laughs> all, all over the place. That's crazy. Uh, George Brett's birthday is today, back in 1953. In, in, in our era, one of, the, one of the players that probably is a top three player in the 80s. Like, that's, one that's of my favorite. the guy. Yeah, He's my third baseman. Schmidt's probably better, but he's my third baseman. There's something about George Brett, something about the wad of chaw in his mouth, something about the pine tar all over him, something about him running out from the dugout. He was just, if you had to make a ball player in a laboratory, I feel like it's George Brett. I mean, I mean, the left-handed beautiful swing, yeah, maybe he didn't hit for as much power as maybe he could have, but again, approaches were very different. This guy was flirting with 400 at one point in 1981, I believe. George Brett, I mean, hell of a defender, great offensive player, but most importantly, ball player. Like, uh, where are these guys? Bryce Harper's like that for me, too. I like Bryce Harper. And he reminds me a lot of George Brett, and it turns people off. I know a lot of people don't like Bryce Harper because he's kind of in your face and he wants to kind of rub it in your face. That's the way George Brett was. And everybody loved George Brett. I don't know. I don't see what the difference is. Uh, John Smoltz, uh, also a Hall of Famer, born in 1967, got in the Hall a few years ago, now a broadcaster on Fox, really dominant pitcher for a long period of time. Cy Young Award winner, World Series champ, starter, closer, starter. Uh, <laughs> Leroy Horde in 1968. Leroy Horde is a good friend of mine. He lives here in South Florida. Uh, really good running back with the Cleveland Browns, of course, for many years and at Michigan. And now he's a broadcaster. And if I didn't include Leroy Horde on this list, I'd be in trouble. So Well, we don't want to upset Leroy, that's for sure. And I remember having Leroy Horde football cards, actually, in the 80s. I remember him well. Yeah, so. really. It was, he scored a lot of touchdowns, too. Wasn't he in that same team with Ernest Biner around that same time as well, I want to say, at some point? Oh, uh, Biner and Mack played together. I think he played a little bit after that. Did he, he play a little play. after? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Emmett Smith, 1969. What a great running back Emmett Smith was <laughs> forever. <laughs> Uh, he was the first pick in fantasy probably for about three or four years, maybe even longer than that. I don't know. How many, how many years in a row do you think Emmett Smith was the first pick in fantasy? Three, four uh, years? I don't, you know, we'd have to go back and look at that. That That's probably interesting to see where guys ended up in those years. But, I mean, Emmett was always just so durable, and that was a great thing about you him. Knew exactly it's, what you were getting. You, you knew you were getting 16 games out of Emmett Smith, and that's hard to say about a lot of running backs. And, you know, maybe it wasn't the high ceiling of a Danian Tomlinson some years, but sure. Emmett Smith was going he to show up. He wasn't a PPR guy, but he was – no, strong he was a touchdown PPR guy. guy. You knew he was getting. But it was more of a standard generation play. too. That was a. That's fancy, true. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of PPR then. I PPR, think, uh, I don't think, really happened until we got well into the 2000s. There. Yeah, I think it. Uh, Emmett Smith's tenure was over when Terrell Davis took over, and Terrell Davis was first pick for a few years too. 1970 Heisman Trophy Award winner, College Football Hall of Famer Desmond Howard, uh, born in 1970, and then we close out this first list. We even have more, but we close out this first list in 1975. Ray Lewis was born. So on today, just in terms of pro football and baseball Hall of Famers. We got two baseball Hall of Famers, 
And we got two pro football Hall of Famers. That's, that's pretty strong. Oh, I mean, we're, we, there were some days we're looking to get one in like a week. <laughs> uh, it's Dale Barra. You know, it's like today, happy birthday, birthday and uh, Chico Esquella. Uh, but uh, Ray Lewis, to me, is the greatest sideline and sideline linebacker I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody cover as much ground on the field as Ray Lewis. Yes, there's some other linebackers we could talk about, but uh, Ray Lewis was everywhere. He was omnipresent. And Desmond Howard... Was he the first guy to do the Heisman pose, right, if memory serves? And then it became a thing. But he started that. Let us not forget the brilliance of the moment of Desmond Howard making the Heisman pose in the end zone because that was pretty damn cool. Yeah, I was a big fan of Desmond Howard. Um, uh, Okay, so now moving on. Now, these aren't the stronger uh, birthdays, but there's still names in the sport that we want to wish happy birthday to, and they had an effect in fantasy. Uh, Ryan Leaf, born in 1976. Ryan Leaf, one of the... Biggest bust in NFL history, but now has sort of turned his life around, so happy to see that. Uh, Josh Beckett, born in 1980, the World Series MVP for the 2003 Florida Marlins, also went on to win a World Series with the Boston Red Sox. What a career Josh Beckett ended up having. Uh, Justin Morneau, born in 1981. Justin Morneau, an American League MVP. People forget about how good he was, too, with the Twins. We used to take him in the first, second round of fantasy for about three or four years. And then Andy Murray, great uh, pro tennis player, born in 1987. Yeah, Morneau was a great middle of the order bat for those Twins teams that were very competitive at that time. Unfortunately, concussions cut his career short. Josh Beckett, I look at Josh Beckett as a winner. Like, that's one of those guys you put out there. He wins games and uh, very valuable to multiple franchises. And Ryan Leaf, you know, I know everyone always attaches bust to him, but I don't and and rightfully so. But it's also a, a really interesting redemption story. Have you ever read the Ryan Leaf open letter? to himself of the younger Ryan I, Leaf. I think I did, but man. if anybody hasn't and doesn't know what I'm talking about, go Google Ryan Leaf's letter to himself. You could tell this is a man that finally in his older life got it. Like he figured it out. And I think that's more important. You know, a lot of sports careers come and go, but this guy figured out life and what was important and learned from his mistakes. And we don't get that a whole lot. You see a lot of guys just kind of continue to spiral we were talking about Josh Hamilton the other day. We talked about Dwight Gooden the other day, guys who just can't seem to get things right in their life. And here's a guy like Ryan Leaf who who did figure it out. And it, in a funny way, you know, it, maybe if he never had that epic failure, he wouldn't have had the moments that he has now in life. And he might not be that same guy. Who knows if a guy with that kind of personality had enormous success, he might not even be alive. Who knows what the situation of Ryan Leaf would have been. But it's a great thing. I encourage everyone out there, go Google it. Ryan Leaf's letter to uh, young Ryan Leaf or drafted Ryan Leaf or whatever it was. So it was really good stuff. But this is an embarrassment of riches on this birthday, Craig. Yes, Unbelievable. Absolutely. We had a you really You can tell we weren't born on this day, neither of us. Hence, we are not great. That, well, yeah. speak for yourself. A good day. A good day for birthdays. That's for sure. Certainly. We got a lot, a lot covered here. Okay, coming up next, we're going to take a step back in time to a previous fantasy football season all the way back to the year 2000. That's coming up. Also, we're going to talk about the National League West options for the designated hitter and also some potential options for their reserves. That's coming up next right here on SportsGrid. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. Also, Gray Albright will join us a little bit later in the show. We'll be right back. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. 
all major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you as we're going to go back in time here a little bit today to uh, the year 2000 and check out some fantasy football discussion. And I mean, this was a premier era for a lot of us. I think this was around the time where a lot of people, Joe, stopped drafting with their buddies, unfortunately, starting to really accomplish everything online. The late 90s, early 2000s was part of that. And I you know, kind of related to this era, especially when I'm looking at the names and I remember clicking as opposed to calling out a name or putting it on the board. Yeah, the year 2000, the Y2K NFL season, certainly you can also trace this is the uh, maybe the spot where fantasy football really just skyrockets. I think this is where it is, and the Internet is the reason because. I mean, when you have these major sites like ESPN, CBS, who are carrying fantasy leagues, and then all of a sudden the accessibility of everybody to have these online drafts, it changed everything. But in the NFL, too, there were a lot of things that changed that year. And this was kind of, again, moving towards a different level of the NFL. Of course, it was the great Ravens defense and Trent Dilfer going uh, here. And we were talking about Ray Lewis earlier. So on Ray Lewis, let's celebrate his birthday with one of his crowning achievements. This was young Ray Lewis uh, being part of this team. It was also the Ray Lewis controversy year, too, of whether or not he was in a certain place in a certain nightclub yeah. at a certain time. That we all forget that kind of got that's uh, changing history. I was, right? I was I walked right by him that night, probably no. two hours before. Yes, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Were you Absolutely. questioned that night? Was it I? No, I, it was a different location. But I just remember <laughs> seeing him, and I remember waking up in the morning, going, "Wait a minute, I just saw that guy." <laughs> I was just I was just with Ray. Me and Ray, Ray were hanging I was, out. I was not with. Him. Uh, also, it was a very different time too, because in order to cut down on group celebrations. They uh, created the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for and fines, no less, for uh, celebrations of two or more players. Now you could take team pictures in the end zone. Look how different things are 20 years later. So the no, no fun league got a little bit more fun. But remember, this was like everyone cracking down and old school NFL stuff. But uh, that really didn't stick. Now, did it? Yeah, I don't even know why they put that rule in back then. And it's so funny that time goes by and you can't remember things like. Like instant replay, as an example. Like, I, I don't really remember a time where there wasn't any replay, but there was <laughs> for a long time. But it's just hard yeah. for me to remember. No, absolutely. Uh, you look at some of the leaders that year in scoring. It was about Marshall Falk. Uh, he scored 160 points on his own that year. Touchdowns, Marshall Falk, 26. This wow. was kind of right before the greatest show on turf really took off with Kurt Warner. Uh, so you're right on the precipice here of that that 26. kind of. Yeah, 160, 26 touchdowns for him that year. Uh, But he didn't lead the league in rushing because that was Edger and James with, get this, 1,709 yards. Now, look, Peyton Manning was great, but Edger and James doesn't get enough credit for really helping Peyton Manning. Is this his rookie season? You know, uh, I will check. I don't know if he was drafted in 2000. Uh, Sean Alexander was drafted in 2000. That I do know. One of the last running backs to win an MVP. A lot of people forget that, but that was a guy that – had some transcendent seasons, ended up on the cover of Madden. And then, like a lot of people on the cover of Madden, kind of fell apart after that. Yeah. Uh, but looks like that curse might be broken now with Mahomes. But uh, Marshall Falk, again, this was the time here 
for the Rams when they really started to become something extraordinary uh, going forward here. This was the very next year is when you had the Trent Green thing and Kurt Warner taking over. But you could see already Marshall Falk was an absolute stud. And Edron James, thank you. Uh, that's from Smarty Jones in my ear. Smarty Jones says uh, 1999 with Edron James. So you were very close there, Mish. Well done. Well I think done. I had him in 99. 2000 i definitely had him 1700 yards rushing that was a pretty good season right there <laughs> let me tell you something. i wish i wish teams still ran the ball so it would give us some good options of running back we don't have any now now you we never thought like eight solid options of running back in fantasy that's about it <laughs> well you never thought this guy would lead the league in passer rating but it was brian greasy of the then denver broncos uh, also passing touchdowns was of course peyton manning with 33 tied with Dante Culpepper, Minnesota. 33 is like nothing now. I know. You think about 33 leading the league back then, but different game. Edger and James, 1,700 rushing yards. It was still in 2000, a very run-heavy sport for the most part until we start to get things and some of the rules change and things start to loosen up. But yeah, 33 touchdowns. Crazy, right? Could you imagine somebody leading the league with 33 touchdowns now? It's like two a game. It's like, uh, <laughs> Manning, uh didn't Brady have 50 and Manning have 50? Uh, both of them had 50. Yes, they both had 50. Uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, just two years ago. <laughs> I mean, look, it wouldn't be surprising to see 40 something again for Mahomes this year. But, that, but that's why the, yeah. the running back has changed so much. Like, yeah. But also the rules have changed so much, too, because when you can't hand check receivers and you can't do a lot of the things you used to be able to yeah, do, that's part receivers, of it, too. It, it just completely opens up the field, and that is just a whole different dynamic that the game didn't have back in 2000. Uh, Marvin Harrison, of course, led the league in receptions, and Lucian Muhammad, who we actually talked about, I think, what, last week on this show. So he's coming back again. This is a pretty good era there for that Carolina Panthers team. Steve Smith, Muhammad, very good duo of wide receivers, maybe an unappreciated one, perhaps. Yeah, I look, I mean, Muhammad is not somebody that usually you think of as a dominant receiver in the NFL, but there's no question the stats back it up. And Randy Moss led the league in touchdown receptions with 15. Of course, the MVP was Marshall Falk. That's right. When running backs used to win MVPs. What a crazy world oh, we live in. 26. That's just unheard of. I'm just if saying. You, if you get 10 touchdowns out of a running back now, it's like gold. Yeah. Coach of the year was Jim Hazlitt. Of the New Orleans Saints. Saints. Yeah, that is correct. Not not his. Not, he was also closer to the Jets, too, if memory serves. Right, Jim Haslund, I want to say? Head coach? I'm right thinking somebody else. I thought he might have had a, Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm confusing my guys there. But uh, defensive player of the year was Ray Lewis. Obviously, that Baltimore Ravens team with Saragusa, who we talked about. His birthday was just yesterday. Uh, that defense was just otherworldly. Uh, you also had uh, two rookies show up there, too, for rookie of the year. You had Mike Anderson, part of the... Who's going to be the Denver running back this year to get a thousand yards crew yeah. and Brian Erlocker. So there you go. Brian Erlocker made his debut that year. He was not the first linebacker taken in that draft. Number two overall was LeVar Arrington of Penn State. So he went number two and Erlocker went number nine to the Bears. So do you think uh, you think that was the wrong decision there at the time? Everybody just thought LeVar was the clear better yeah, guy. I mean, LeVar was, you know, a little bit like Chase Young. Yeah, you know, like uh, like just really big, really yeah. dominant, and he had a good and, career. Uh, Lavar Arrington, Lavar was a good pro. He was a better college player, but he ended up being a good pro. It's just, I don't know. He just what? Look, the Redskins went through a lot, so it's really hard to look at them and and wonder what happened. But 
the one ability that he did have better than any other player that I've seen play in college was the ability to block field goals and extra points. I mean, it was insane how he did that at Penn State. I mean, it was yeah. just, he could every single time he just block it. It's like, I mean, I don't know how he did it, but he was always there at the right time. Mm-hmm. Also, the year 2000 was the Tom Brady draft at pick 199. And I'm very lucky because it just came a few weeks ago and I got it uh, hanging up. I got the blow up of the draft card of the Tom Brady draft at pick 199 is a reminder that not everyone's going to believe in you, but it's more important that you believe in you. And of course we all know the quarterbacks uh, that got taken ahead of him. Guys like Giovanni Carmazzo, uh, guys like Spurgeon Wynn and a host of other ones. And there's Tommy Brady at pick 199. So uh, certainly an incredible thing there to look back because here we are 20 years later, Tom Brady's still playing and this is the first year he's not going to be a Patriot. Doesn't that blow your mind? Here we are 20 years now for Tom Brady. I'm trying to think. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I was at Tom Brady's first game. Oh, wow. You mean when he got not when Mo Lewis knocked out Drew Bledsoe, you mean? Or his so, first start subsequently? I think after? I was at his first start. I think I, think I was at his first start because, yeah, I was not at the game where he got hit. Did Brady come in? when Brady came in for that, yes. Mo Lewis okay. knocked him out and Brady came in, and then Brady was the starter then after but he was terrible in the first game the game i saw he was horrible and yeah he was not good and then he got better and then oh, a lot of people came two on but the well, game that i saw he was a mess he kept getting a lot sacked. of people forget though tom brady had to come out of afc championship game and drew bledsoe came back That's in right. against the steelers and played very well and then there was the controversy of oh man maybe drew bledsoe should be there's drew bledsoe holding up the afc championship trophy a lot of people forget that image not this guy because he's an actual patriots fan but yeah, I mean, some crazy times. Another really good uh, thing to check out. There's a one-hour documentary. I think it's E60 on Drew Bledsoe. If you're going through withdrawals of last dance. I gotta find that media credential of that star, of, of Brady's first star. I, I probably still have that somewhere. Also, the earliest a kicker was ever taken. Number 17 overall, Sebastian Janikowski. How yeah, about that? Raiders just idiots for that. So they passed on Chad. He actually Pennington ended up having Alexander. He played a very long time. And you know what? The truth is, in the end, it pro- I mean, I know it's going to sound insane. It probably was worth the pick. But as, as it turned out, it was a horrible decision. It'll never be done again. But he did end up playing 20 years. And he well, did you think play this 19 because years. Because of the Ray Guy thing, too. Like he, he had drafted Ray Guy very early. And he thought that, well, look, if you can dominate in a different way than everybody else, then that's an advantage. That was a very Al Davis thing it's to do. And you're risky right. now. And, and look, and it look is. at the guys who have been taken after that early. They've been horrible, yeah. right? Well, absolutely. And not only that, I mean, you passed on Keith Bullock, you passed on Sean Alexander, you passed on. But Janikowski uh, outplayed them all. Well, he outlasted them all. That's for sure. <laughs> Bullock it's hard to argue year. now. It really Bullock is. Janikowski probably helped get more. I mean, there's no war for football, but Janikowski would have had a better football war than the guys you mentioned. You know what? It's not bad. The only other guy in this first round even that's really exciting uh, is Jamal Lewis, who went number five overall to the Great. Ravens. So uh, pretty good draft there for them that year. You also have uh, Sean Ellis taken by the Jets and John Abraham with back-to-back picks. I don't know if they ever quite lived up to the expectations of 12 and 13 overall, but, you know, hey, Ron Dane was taken by the Giants that year, too. Remember Ron Dane? That was a good time. I do. Spent some time on Ron Dane last he did week. Indeed. But look, it was it was about those uh, it was about those Baltimore Ravens that year just dominating and winning games on defense and scoring. I, so think, much Jamal, on- I think Jamal Lewis is is one of those snubs for the Hall of Fame. I mean, he should. Why well, is he not on the Hall of Fame? He, he had some fantastic seasons, some fantastic games as well. And, yeah. you know, let's not forget, too. I know they got rushing yards. 
Uh, you know what? That's a good question. I, I think he has to. I would imagine he has to have that number because then they have almost 2,000 one year. Um, but, you know, the Giants team that lost to the Ravens in the Super yeah. Bowl was a pretty good team in and of itself, too. Kerry Collins, a quarterback. And, of course, Tiki Barber was the star of that team really offensively. So Jamal Lewis uh, is 25th all time. Uh, dude, I had so many Jamal Lewis shares over the years around this era. But like we were talking about, I feel like this was – this was that moment where fantasy football really started to take over and become something. Uh, some milestones, too, real quick. Most rushing yards in a game, Corey Dillon, 278 that year against Denver, broke Walter Payton's 275 record, which I want to say Jamal Lewis broke the following year or a couple years later. So I could be wrong on that one. I'm almost positive. Also, most pass receptions in a game, Terrell Owens, he had 20 catches in a game uh, that was in December 17th against the Chicago Bears. So wow. some pretty incredible moments there for T.O. and Corey Dillon. Yeah. I think Keenan Allen broke that. But, yeah, that's uh, an amazing number to have 20 catches in one game for sure. All right. Uh, we'll take a quick time out. When we come back next, we've got players that are from our past that could really succeed in this day and age. It ain't easy to come up with these, but we'll have them. Also, Gray Albright from Rasball joins us a little bit later in the show, and we go over some of the potential reserve list players that could be in Major League Baseball's National League West. We'll touch on all of that and more as we continue here on Sports Grid. Just make sure you stay tuned, like, and subscribe to our show on YouTube. That'll give you a chance to watch our show on demand 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we'll be back right after this. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you. Before we get to some potential Hall of Famers that could have played today, uh, interesting note that was passed along yesterday by the governor of Florida and then the athletic director of the University of Florida, essentially saying that, hey, NFL teams, if you need a place to play, you can come play in the swamp at the University of Florida. So the Gators could be playing on Saturday, the NFL on Sunday. Uh, I, I don't get how all this is possibly going to happen, but it was mentioned. Uh, Joe Buck, who, of course, broadcasts for Fox, mentioned, like, almost matter-of-factly that with no fans, they're going to be pumping in crowd music. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, but okay. have, have we, are we already resigned to no fans also at NFL <laughs> games, too? Are we kind of, well, I don't know if we're resigned. To know at this point I don't know now. if we're resigned to it, but I'm prepared for it. I don't care. I just want my football. I don't need to watch other people in the stands go into the games. Not that many games anyway. They're only there eight times a year at home games. So what? I mean, I know. I mean, compared to 80-something games, I mean, it's 10 times as many games that people go to for Major League Baseball in a season. There's eight. Eight games. Yeah. We can find a place to play. We can bump in crowd music. Maybe we'll get the robots like they did in Taiwan. We got the robots and the mannequins. It's fine by me. Just give me my football. That's all I want. You're going to get it. I have no – that's the way. I, I have no doubt about no doubt. that. Where's the, where can we bet on that? That, that I would like to bet. Will, <laughs> will the there be a football season? Minus yes. 150? No problem. Yes. It, well, no it problem. turns out, we, oh, wait, I'm just hearing they're playing on the moon, Craig. Yes, they are right. playing I on said, the moon. I said, they Saturn. 
Well, they, right. which planet will they play on? Earth is probably like minus 300, but Saturn's like plus 140. Mars Elon plus Musk has secured a team charter to Mars. Yeah. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be They're fine. They're playing 100%. You know, you, uh, those of you who are worried about football do not. In the NFL, college is still a little worried about that. College is tough. And, and, and you know what? Rightfully so, because they're not paying them. They're not professionals. They're not essential. They're not professionals. Yes, it, it does hurt the economy of, of those spots without a doubt in those universities. But at the same time, they're, they're students. They're students first. They're student athletes, not athlete students. All right, so look, it's it's as we've been talking about in terms of eras in football, it's completely different than the way it was. I think most would agree that pro football is as popular and even better now than it was in the past for sure. More people want passing than running. Totally get it. It makes it a lot more challenging for fantasy as well, but that's just why we're kind of here to guide you through that. But Joe, there certainly would have been some players, I believe, that played back in the 80s or the 90s or even 2000s that would still be successful today, no? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when this was inspired by that discussion, that Back to the Future discussion we were having about, you know, where we dialing back to different seasons. And I think right now some guys might have even be better. I mean, even some Hall of Famers could even be better. And the very first guy that popped into my mind was Dan Marino, because could you imagine Dan Marino in an era where basically the quarterback is off limits? Basically, you're in a spot where you could pass whatever you want. Sure. Yeah. Let's pass all day. Forget it. How many times you want to throw the ball? 50 times? Great. Go out there and do it every day, Dan Marino. And the fact that, you you know, you can't keep these wide receivers and do the things you used to do them in the 80s and the 90s and all that stuff. Dan Marino, to me, would be the perfect guy to drop in in this era of the NFL. And you want to talk about 50 touchdowns? How about 60 touchdowns? I don't think that's impossible. Uh -huh. to th I really don't think it's impossible. Yeah, I mean, look, he had a lot of talent around him. The other part of it, too, that isn't really discussed a lot is the fact that their defense couldn't keep anybody off the field. So True. essentially, Marino was all the was on the field all the time because right. their defense couldn't stop anybody. They also couldn't run the ball. But again, totally agree with the assessment there. Although Duper and Clayton, and then uh, Keith Jackson and some of the other receivers that he had were really good too. They were. Uh, Duper and Clayton were vastly underrated and underappreciated. But to drop Dan Marino right now, modern day NFL, I think would just be just so fantastic to watch, you know, because let's face it. I mean, those guys got their butt kicked back there and not, I mean, we're talking about hit after they throw the ball. We're doing all these things. None of that's happening till Dan Marino right now in the NFL if he's playing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, uh, some potential players we could talk about. Dan Fouts, who was very similar to Marino, was probably the Marino before there was a Marino, essentially. Yeah. And if he could game. do it in that era when he was even possibly more difficult <laughs> at some point in time, imagine what he could do now. I mean, Dan Fouts is one of those quarterbacks, you know, had had they not had to go to Pittsburgh for that playoff game that year where it was, what, like minus 20 degrees or whatever it is, the Chargers weren't going in and winning that football game in Pittsburgh in minus 20 degrees. They're just not going to do it. It's not happening. Not their brand of football. But had it been in their turf and they had gone and won a Super Bowl, I kind of wonder – if maybe Don Coriel is in the Hall of Fame and we're still waiting on that, I wonder if Dan Fouts, we look at him a little differently because some of those numbers that he put up some of those years in an era where passing was not a thing are just spectacular. As far as the running quarterbacks go, Steve Young, what about Randall Cunningham? Oh, yeah. Randall Cunningham's a great one. That's a great one. I didn't even think of him. But uh, both of those guys now, especially because... Again, you can't go out there and just hammer a guy. I mean, all the concussions that Steve Young had because guys were just looking to light him up anytime he yeah, ran around. I remember I was at the game that Warren oh. Sapp gave him a concussion. Oh, and and that you know that's why I thought of Steve Young first was, you know, man, imagine having that and knowing in your mind, hey, I can go out and run this and I'm protected. It's gonna be fine. You know, I'm just gonna do. Not that you couldn't slide back yeah. then. You can. 
that you and I both know. Everybody took an extra shot wherever they could at Steve Young when he was out there. And I think if you dropped him in right now, but Randall Cunningham, absolutely. I mean, I wonder if Randall Cunningham would be thought of almost Lamar Jackson-like. I think I mean, it's Randall, the same, more or less. Pretty much, you know. I mean, Randall, much. when Randall came back, it was the co- was the uh, not the coach when he was the quarterback of the Vikings. Yes, and he had Moss and Carter. He wasn't even running anymore at that point. Uh, he was terrific. He, he was, was terrific. He was great with them too. So absolutely, people forget favorites. about that renaissance. Like he was nothing for a couple of years, and then just came back and was great with them. Uh, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice could still play today. Like you want to see Mike Tyson fight? I'm telling you, Jerry Rice could still play receiver in the NFL. Oh yeah, especially that now. More realistic. I could see Jerry Rice playing today. Probably. I mean, I guess what happens is you lose I'm the kidding. step. Yeah. No, but I mean, if it, you're talking about lose the step, and that's look, Jerry Rice would still be playing if someone would let him. I think we all know that. Do you remember who he finished with? Uh, Broncos or the Raiders? I know he played for the Raiders, but I want to say the Broncos was and the then very Broncos, last. Broncos, and then he went to camp with another team too. Oh, who is the team went to camp with? Seattle. Oh, yeah. Wow. Good call. Well I done. Think, I don't think he played in the regular season, but. No, no, definitely. I don't think so. Did he? Did, he did wear a Seattle. There are pictures of him in a Seattle uniform. Oh, man. Yeah. That, we're really going in the way back machine. Yeah. But uh, Jerry Rice, I mean, come on. We're talking about a, a guy that was impossible to guard then. And now you take away all the little devices that they had to kind of keep him in check. Forget it, man. They're talking about running amok. Put him and Dan Marino together on one team right now in 2020. I would pay money to watch that every week without a doubt. So uh, Barry Sanders is another one also. Um, because yeah, the small running back, I think, is respected a he lot. Would have had to, he would have had to be more of a threat catching balls out of the backfield, though. That's not something that he Perhaps. Did. But at the same time, if you think about the prototypical running back in the 80s and 90s, Barry Sanders was small. Barry Sanders now... There's a lot more of the Alvin Kamara size guy and all the guys that everyone yeah, fawns over. Yeah. So the prototypical running back, the CMC, all these guys who are smaller are now the guys, quote unquote. But again, they catch passes. Uh, they do, but maybe that was something that Barry Sanders could do more of and they never maybe even looked have. at I don't know. It. We never really saw it. We never really saw it because that wasn't what happened back then. And I would love to at least see him get that chance because I think now – the prototypical running back is just a different body type, and it's all more about speed and the things that Barry Sanders does. And he did break that mold, but I'd love to see him, you know, in this era of football because I think that would be really fun to watch. All right, let's dive into a few more. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, of course, known as the best defensive end of all time, essentially. Thurman Thomas. Uh, yeah, I mean, Marshall Falk would still be a beast today for sure. Walter Payton's an interesting one. It's like a, the longer we go from when Walter Payton was playing – it's it's hard for me to remember him playing, you know? He's he's one of no. those guys that I have vivid memories of the 80s, and now it's like they're starting to fade a little bit. It's been a while. It is, but at the same time, when you go back and you watch Walter Payton film, the thing that's so spectacular about him is, is that he's out there carrying the ball so much for bad teams, taking such a pounding and all these other things, right? And now he is that kind of running back that could catch the football. He was that kind of athlete that could do anything. He could throw, do all these things. To have an athlete on your team like Walter Payton, and he was utilized by those Bears teams in lots of ways. He would throw a touchdown sometimes and all the other stuff. Now, imagine with the football, uh, you know, the geniuses out there offensively and what's out there and what's available for athletes like Walter Payton, what kind of monster he would have been now. He was a monster then, but imagine now all the specific plays they could do and ways to get him in space and all this stuff for Walter Payton because the game has evolved so much. That would be really fun. And LT... Look, I mean, LT was, you know, the revolutionary guy. He created that that other kind of linebacker position that would line up. And then, like you said, more of a defensive end at times. And 
get to the quarterback. And I can't imagine LT not being good enough to play. If you took LT from 1985 and dropped LT in, you know, 2020, that he would not still be LT because I think he would be. Probably would. Yeah. I mean, he was <clears throat> the kind of guy who just simply didn't matter where you were yeah. on the field. Just and you talked about running guy. backs, right? That catch the ball. How about Marshall Falk and Thurman Thomas? Oh yeah. Of how, about, course. how about those two guys catching the football in an era where guys didn't catch the football quite as much. They were kind of the guys that kind of brought that to the forefront a little bit. And now you put them in these offenses, especially some of the tackling is in this league is not what she used to be. Let's be frank. I mean, watch the Atlanta Falcons tackle last year is like, you know, that's <laughs> like it's yeah. like watching my kids try to catch the dog running around in the backyard. It's like, ah! And they're just falling all over themselves. This is not a pretty thing. But I, those my anybody else for you? Randall Cunningham was a great one. Anybody else come to mind for you? Uh, you know, I, Eric Dickerson is another one. I think I almost Dickerson. put him on the list. I wasn't yeah. sure if you were going to go for Eric Dickerson. Yeah, I think Eric Dickerson is someone that, again, could catch passes when he needed to, was almost impossible to tackle, could carry the ball. 30 times a game um had the attitude for you know didn't wasn't happy wherever he was didn't matter when like he just like he's that kind of guy that would have went real well uh, would he have gone well in this age though of social media eric dickerson would have been i mean he says something every day that gets people fired up so i like it i like eric dickerson he would have been fun to cover in this era that's for sure that's, you know, that's I, another I, I got to grab my Eric Dickerson helmet. It's, it's, <laughs> well, look, uh, before you go grabbing your Dickerson, no, I, I just want you to know, I mean, That's another list I'd love to do. I'd love to do the list of players we wish had social media accounts when they were playing. Fair. That could be a fun segment. Let me tell you, we need to get because Eric Dickerson is definitely on that list. Let me tell you. Yep, for sure. All right. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We'll, uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We're going to go over a couple of season win totals in the NFL. Kansas City Chiefs and Seattle Seahawks are on the docket for today's show. So make sure you stay tuned. We're going to do that next. As a reminder, you can watch our show every single day, Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. For those of you who are watching on sportsgrid.com, cool. That's a really easy way to watch. Here is another. There are several streaming apps that are available, whether you have an iPhone or an Android phone. And even if you have something like a Roku or Amazon Fire, you can download several apps. One of them is Pluto TV, which is a Viacom product that basically airs all kinds of movies and shows throughout the day and night. And also we have our own channel on there on SportsGrid. In addition to that, Zumo TV is another app that's free, just like Pluto TV, available in the App Store. And then the final one of what probably will end up being a lot more. But for now, the final one where you can watch us in terms of apps is on STIRR, S-T-I-R-R. So those are three great ways that you can watch the show. If you're an audio-only kind of person, head on over to iTunes or also in the Google Play Store and just type in Fantasy Sports Today. Type in my name, Craig Mish. You'll find our show. Like, subscribe to it every day. It gets populated, sent to you as soon as our show is done. Our first hour is done, and we'll be right back on Sports Grid. More of Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizapia. As we close it out here on a Friday, we'll be back right after this one. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com.